0: This is the God Stuff Podcast, where we go bigger, better, and deeper. If you're watching me online, I'm double, what am I, I'm multitasking, so sorry if I'm looking away. So, this is Bill, episode number 152, where we go bigger, better, and deeper, as I was saying, bigger in our impact for Christ in the gospel, better in our understanding of Scripture, how to interpret and apply it and deeper in our walk with God and our depth of the knowledge and appreciation of God so that we can go bigger and have a greater impact for Christ. Here in episode number 152, we're going to continue the topic of revival. I know the last two episodes were on revival, and in those episodes I shared with you messages that I have preached. Today I'm going to share with you some some quotes and stories that I've collected over the years. I've never actually shared these before, but I am going to share them with you today, continuing on Revival with some notes and observations on what Revival is and what the weirdness... What about the weirdness that can accompany Revival? For a lot of us who aren't into that, it can be... Uh, stressful or negative to think of revival. And, you know, with the Jesus Revolution movie, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll save that for the main part of the podcast. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Please subscribe, please share, and... Give us a review and go check us out at Veritas, V-E-R-I-T-A-S, school.life. This is the seminary for people who never thought it was possible. If you want to transform your boring, ho-hum, bland, mundane Christian life into an adventure and go deep and go broad and make a difference, Veritas is for you. Check it out. Without further ado, let's talk some more about revival and the Jesus Revolution. Welcome to the God Stuff Podcast with Bill Giovanetti the home of grace-powered living. Because grace isn't an app, it's an operating system. Here's Bill. Okay, in the last two episodes, we did talk about revival and specifically about the first, second, third great awakenings in the U.S. of A, and I believe in revival. I'm not a latecomer to this story. I've actually been preaching and teaching on revival for at least 30 years, probably more. I have some notes on my computer that go back to the 1990s, so... I've been studying, reading, teaching, and most of all, praying and above all, longing for a revival for many, many, many decades. Revival is like rainfall the typical standard you know the ministry we do in the church the work and labor we do for christ in the gospel is like watering the lawn but revival is like a cloud bursts from heaven that just keep on coming for a while and uh the church is awakened and above all else lost people flood into the family of faith in unusually and disproportionately large numbers so i I love the topic, and I hope I'm not boring you with this, but it's stuff we need to hear, so here we go. Um, I have collected some thoughts and written them down about revival and basically some quotes from some of my other books, and specifically in terms of manifestations. If you saw the Jesus Revolution movie, and I hope you did, and if you didn't, Just pause this wherever, whenever you're listening. Go watch the movie. If it's still in the theaters, go check it out. If it's not, go rent it or watch it online. Watch the movie. You'll know much better what I'm talking about. But if you watch the movie, in that movie, there's a pretty pivotal character. His name is Lonnie Frisbee. There's a lot online about him. I won't go into a story other than to say... Though he did have his personal problems and some say moral problems, which, hey, don't we all? He was really significant in the kind of the spark plug for revival. And in fact, and I say this to my own embarrassment, there's a scene in the movie where Lonnie Frisbee is preaching in a tent. And this is with Chuck Smith and the very burgeonings of the, Calvary Chapel movement, and he's a very charismatic figure. He's pretty much a charismatic Christian. He's a hippie. He's come to Christ. He's led many other people to Christ. He's bringing hippie surfer dudes to church who are drug addicted and everything. He's very loving, very kind. Um, he reaches out to Greg Laurie and all of this. So his story's in the movie, and I love how the movie didn't clean him up or anybody. Everybody's flawed. Every single major character is flawed and God used them in amazing ways. And there's a scene where Lonnie is preaching and then he starts going to, going into kind of a healing service. All of a sudden he's getting words from God. He's calling out different illnesses. What we see in a typical called charismatic church today. And he lays his hands on someone's head and declares them to be healed and things like that. And I was really uncomfortable watching that when the first time I watched the movie, I've now seen it four times. And in fact, I saw it in pre-release. They let pastors preview the movie and I did. And they asked our feedback. And this is what I say to my embarrassment. I asked them to remove that scene. I said, it's going to make it harder for pastors to recommend the movie because it seems like we will be endorsing the kind of Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, charismatic ministry where people are falling down and where people and all of that. And. I wish I could take that request back and I'll tell you why. I am very skeptical about a lot of the charismatic phenomenon and manifestations. However, I've come to believe, and I've been teaching this for years as well. There are two situations in which I am less skeptical. Situation number one frontier missions when missionaries or evangelists are reaching people groups that have never been reached before there tends to be a collection of signs and wonders a collection of manifestations where the gospel has never gone before so we see that in the book of acts when the holy spirit is poured out and there are manifestations on the day of pentecost with the jews we see it again with the Samaritans, we see it again with the Gentiles. And in each case, you're talking about essentially an unreached people group where the gospel has never gone before. So this is the frontier of world missions. Even today, we're hearing very credible reports of signs and wonders and visions and dreams among Missionaries to Arab and Muslim lands where the gospel has never taken root. And it seems that the manifestations of the spirit and the signs and wonders that accompany them are kind of a ratification of the gospel into unreached people groups. So I'm less skeptical when we're talking frontier missions. The second situation in which I am less skeptical is in times of revival. In times of revival, there seem to be an extra number of signs and wonders. And that's why I wish I could untake my request To edit out that scene because this was a revival. This was a revival in the 1970s. There was a revival, the Jesus revolution, the Jesus movement had made it to Chicago as Jesus people USA. It was really mostly a West Coast revival. Though if you look at even the major secular media, life and time magazines were reporting it saying there's a hip new groovy Christianity going on, that was the life magazine cover. I think it was something like Groovy Christians, Time talking about the Jesus Revolution. So, in times of revival, there tend to be manifestations of the Spirit that are unusual, that are uncomfortable, that those of us who are way more oriented toward the Word don't like. And so, I'm including myself there with a measure of repentance and contrition. And so, what I want to share with you is something I've written. Actually, this has been on my computer, my laptop for I don't know. The date on the file is 1990-something. So, that tells you how long I've had some of this material. I've been thinking through it, but I've never shared it before. So, let's go. Okay. So, if you're watching online, I've made a document that you can see. And if you're not watching online, if you're listening in your car... So, we do have a YouTube channel. You can see all the podcasts. So, I'm going to show my document and share it uh, verbally as we go. So, what some have thought and written about revival and its manifestations, and I'm talking about Charles Spurgeon and then Erwin Lutzer and D.L. Moody. Actually, D.L. Moody and then Erwin Lutzer. So, these are not wild-eyed charismatics by any stretch of the imagination. So, let's start with Spurgeon. I've taken these quotations from Eric Hayden, and the book is called Spurgeon on Revival, published in 1962. And if you're looking on the screen, you can see where I've listed the page numbers where I'm getting these quotations. So, a little background on Spurgeon. Spurgeon lived during a great revival in Wales, Ireland, and Scotland. This was the mid-1800s. In Wales, Ireland, and Scotland, there was a big revival, and in Britain, I need to say, in England, Great Britain. So, during the mid-1800s, this coincided with a revival in America, which is the Third Great Awakening. We've talked about that in the last couple of episodes. This revival was characterized not only by great, outpourings of salvations, which makes it revival. If you don't see tons of people getting saved, I don't care what you have going on, it's not a revival. Call it awakening, call it uh, something else, but you need large, unusual numbers of conversions to Christ or it's not revival. So this revival, the second great awakening in America, but also in Great Britain, created much debate. And Spurgeon looks back So he's in the mid 1800s and he looks back a hundred years to the mid 1700s where you have Whitfield and Wesley in America's first great awakening. And this is what Spurgeon said. Every now and then this happens in spiritual affairs and men behold the phenomenon with wonder and even alarm. It was so in the age of Whitfield and Wesley when the Lord opened the windows of heaven upon our land. What an outbreak there was. "'What a commotion and upheaval! The old pavements of conventionality were torn away, and the floods burst up through them.'" This is Spurgeon. He's talking about unusual manifestations of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about some of the stuff we see in charismatic circles. Spurgeon. Again, Spurgeon says, "'We see this life and force breaking out in many places in new works for the Lord Jesus.'" And frequently, it takes very irregular forms, greatly to the distress of spiritual Tories by Tories, Tories who are an old political party known for resistance to change. So let's go, let's go back. Spurgeon is saying something that I just said. We see this life and force breaking out in many places in new works for the Lord Jesus, in new works on frontier missions. And frequently it takes very irregular forms greatly to the distress of spiritual Tories who must have all things cut and dried after the most ancient fashion. We confess that we also are somewhat perplexed at certain of the more outrageous forms of religious energy but even if there should be an occasional irregularity, it is better than the monotony of mere mechanism. Amen. Amen, Charles Spurgeon. Continuing his comments on the First Great Awakening. Now, remember, he's in the Second Great Awakening and comparing it to the First Great Awakening. He writes, attempts were made to stop the stream. Persecution was tried against the Methodists. The Methodist movement was born in revival, John Wesley. Attempts were made to stop the stream. Persecution was tried against the Methodists. They were denounced from the pulpit, threatened by mobs, and ridiculed as modern enthusiasts and madmen, and regarded as the off-scouring of all things. But all this availed nothing. Omnipotence was at work, and malice could not hinder. I think this is part of the greatness and genius of Charles Spurgeon, who is my favorite preacher. I have a bust of him here in my office, I have a t-shirt with his signature on it that my wife gave me, C.H. Spurgeon, is that he? there is never a preacher more true to the Word of God than him. There is never a preacher less, uh, shall we say, emotionally manipulative than him. And yet, he still had the largeness of heart and mind and theology to allow for the miraculous intervention of God, especially in times of revival and especially on new frontiers. And even though he didn't agree with Wesley, Wesley was Arminian. And even though he didn't agree with Finney, Finney was Arminian. Spurgeon himself was a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist, but Spurgeon himself was a strong Calvinist. Even though he didn't agree with them, he made room for what God was doing. And rather than just throw the whole thing out, rather than just ridicule, he said, you know, it's our job as leaders, it's our, our job as pastors to sort it out to accept the good, be open to what God is doing, even if we don't like it and don't understand it. Okay. Continuing with Spurgeon, um, Eric Hayden and Eric Hayden, who is the, is the author of the book Spurgeon on Revival. Eric Hayden inserts his own comment, which I'm going to quote. That was revival for Spurgeon. He did not mind the excesses and physical phenomena as long as they did not go beyond certain bounds. But the real test was, did it bring about any moral and social progress as well as spiritual blessing? That's Hayden. No, I like that comment, but I really think the question isn't moral and spiritual progress. I think the question is large numbers of genuine conversions to Christ. One of the criticisms of the revival movements was that they had these very, very long meetings. And in fact, if you look at what's happened in the Asbury University revival of late, which I don't know is a revival, but I do think it's a work of God and can spark revival, who knows. But the meetings just never stopped. They kept going. And a lot of people criticize that. And that's not new. Spurgeon answers this criticism. He said... Nobody has written to the papers to complain that daughters stayed out at an evening party after 10 o'clock or that his son came home a little before 11 from the opera. There is a good deal of hypocrisy, can't, C-A-N-T, hypocrisy. There's a good deal of hypocrisy in the irreligious world and its hypocrisies are innumerable. That once in a while a meeting should be projected beyond the hour allowed by prudence is not so great a sin after all. It may be best to avoid it in every case, but should peculiar zeal and a special season of blessing lead a minister and a congregation into the era of a very long meeting we are not aware of any law human or divine which they have violated i think that's cool and then the other criticism is that oh you got have this you know this revivalish thing happening and everybody's weird and there are undue excitements and people get excited and and they're shouting out or whatever spurgeon commented on that he said i'm quoting hey, write, email Charles Spurgeon if you don't like this. Men grow eager in the pursuit of wealth, and the pulse beats fast when great transactions are quivering in the balance. The world does not blame them for this, for it thinks the objects of their pursuit worthy of intense effort. But if a man grows earnest in seeking the salvation of his soul, he is Censured, criticized for being too excited. And if he weeps for his sins or rejoices when he has obtained pardon for them, he is set down at once as being under the influence of fanatics and his confinement in bedlam is confidently predicted. Will any rational man maintain that excitement ceases to be legitimate? according to the importance of the subject in hand, assuredly nothing in the nature of things, nothing in the realm of common sense, and certainly nothing in Holy Scripture can be urged against the legitimate use of excitement in religion. The fact is that enthusiasm is only to be justified by the importance of its object. He's saying, listen, you get excited about money, you get excited about a football game, you get excited about this, you shout over that, you're why not over the salvation of sinners? Why not over the forgiveness of your sins? Why not over God tenderizing a hardened heart? Hayden, the author, comments that Spurgeon's hearers were urged time and again to pray for revival and not be afraid of the accompanying enthusiasm. So Spurgeon said this, if you read the story of the Reformation, Or the later story of the new Reformation under Whitfield and Wesley. Okay, let me insert myself here. The Reformation, 1500s, mid-1500s, Martin Luther and so on. That was a Reformation of doctrine, but it was also a revival and there were millions of people saved. As a consequence of the Reformation. So he's talking about that revival, and then he's going to the first great awakening in America and English speaking lands. Again, back to Spurgeon. If you read the story of the Reformation or the later story of the new Reformation under Whitfield and Wesley, you are struck with the singular spirit that went with the preachers. The world said they were mad. The caricaturists drew them as being fanatical beyond all endurance, but there it was. Their zeal was their power. Of course, the world scoffed at that of which it was afraid. The world fears enthusiasm, the sacred enthusiasm which love to Christ kindles. The enthusiasm which is kindled by the thought of the ruin of men and by the desire to pluck the firebrands from the flame. The enthusiasm which believes in the Holy Ghost, which believes that God is still present with his church to do wonders. I hope you're seeing that we have Legitimate authority and reasonably, I mean, more than reasonably credible, non charismatic, non enthusiastic, non weird sources to be open and accepting of what God does in revival. On the physical manifestations of revival, the excitement and the excesses attendant upon so many awakenings, Spurgeon had something to say in an address to the students of his pastor's college. Spurgeon, I had sooner risk the dangers of a tornado of religious excitement than see the air grow stagnant with dead formality. I love this. I'd rather try to tone down a fanatic than work to raise the dead. I had sooner risk the dangers of a tornado of religious excitement than see the air go stagnant with dead formality. If I had to choose between the overenthusiastic freaks and the dead formal Christians, I'm going with the freaks every time. You go, Charles Spurgeon. Of course, Spurgeon disdained the excesses and the counterfeits, but that did not cause him to reject all enthusiasms as counterfeit. And by the way, I'm using this word enthusiasm. This was the old fashioned word for fanatical religion. It means enthusiasm. And en means in. The enthusiasm part means the passion of God. It's filled with passion, okay? So, that's what enthusiasm in these contexts, the old English word, it means kind of almost fanatical. All right, there you go. Let's be fanatics for Jesus, guys. Come on. I am glad of any signs of life, even if they should be feverish and transient, and I am slow to judge any well-intentioned movement. But yet I am very fearful that many so-called revivals have in the long run wrought more harm than good. Places which have had the most of religious excitement are frequently the most hard to reach. But if I would nail down the counterfeits upon the counter, I do not therefore undervalue the true gold. Far from it. It is to be desired beyond measure that the Lord would send a real and lasting revival of spiritual life. Amen. He's saying, look, I'm going to reject the counterfeits, but that doesn't mean I'm going to throw out the gold. Lord send revival. That is Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great, the greatest English speaking preacher in history. And I say we must prayerfully examine our hearts and seek such a balanced position as Spurgeon's, not just light, doctrine, theology, scripture, not just heat, energy, passion, heartfelt, love from God, but light and heat together, both, both together, light and heat. So that's Spurgeon on revival. And I am seeing that this episode, let's see, how much do I have here on Moody? Yeah, I think I'm going to cut this one. No, I'm going to cut it. I'm going to cut it right here. And we're going to pick up in the next episode with D.L. Moody. Same notes, same everything. Thanks for joining us. Go visit us at VeritasSchool.life. Go sign up. We have a course in salvation. Transform your boring Christian life into the adventure God has planned for you. Stretch yourself. Your ho hum. You've heard it a thousand times. You think you know it all. You don't. There's deeper, wider, bigger for you. Veritaschool.life slash salvation if you want a free course. Go check it out. Again, subscribe. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. More about revival. Thanks for listening to the God Stuff Podcast. Find out more at Godstuff.tv.